sometimes uh, have an understanding of this truth, but we don't necessarily vocalize it or put it into conscious thoughts. Um, and so uh, maybe this will be something that will help us in our day-to-day lives, especially as Christians and especially in the day that we're living. Ephesians chapter number 2, and uh, let's begin reading verse number 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message and speak to our hearts. And I pray that you would help to guide us. May your Holy Spirit give clear understanding. And Lord, may this be something that we'll be able to understand clearly in such a way that it will be a help to us in our lives as we battle the, the, the things that uh, Satan tries to so often ruin our lives with and try to, tries to tempt or entice uh, us to do things that are contrary to your word, I pray that you would help us to stand fast and to be able to deal with these things and being aware of his tactics and what he tries to accomplish in us, I pray that you would help us to be on guard for them, to be watchful for them and to be uh, submitted to the leading of your Holy Spirit and his guidance in these areas, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is dealing here, and of course, <clears throat> we know that <clears throat> numerous times in Scripture, the Bible talks about the fact that we are uh, engaged in a battle, and we've talked so often about the, the uh, ongoing battle between the flesh and the spirit, uh, how they're at enmity with each other, and that this battle is not so much a mental battle or a physical battle or an emotional battle, but it is a spiritual battle, and the Bible speaks about that. And so, I don't think there's a whole lot of um, discussion or debate. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of disagreement between God's people that the three uh, areas, the three enemies that we so much face are our flesh nature, the influence of our world, this world that we live in, and Satan himself. And these are the three that, that tend to fight against us so often. And yet they're interrelated. It's interesting to us that uh, Satan, who is, the Bible refers to him as the prince of this world. And when we talk of that, we don't mean that he is the prince of the physical, um, you know, the dirt, the grass, the air, things like that, but the world's philosophy, the world's mindset, uh, the worldly, um, uh, uh, the, 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 na- the nature, if you will, the character of uh, the world's society as a whole. And he is, he is the prince of this. He's the one that... Uh, certainly has rule and control over these things. And he, he's able to dominate his authority over that worldly influence um, by encouraging the world uh, to do things contrary to Scripture. And so he makes sin look uh, pleasant. Um, you can, all you got to do is go on uh, TV for a little while and watch some of the advertisements for things that are ungodly and wicked and how nice he makes them look. Uh, how appealing it is. And no wonder a lot of our young people today, not just young people, but even those of us that are uh, older in years, how appealing sometimes these things will look to us and cause us to uh, be tempted and enticed by that. And so Satan uh, has that influence over the world, knowing that the world is what has influence over our flesh, uh, the flesh nature that is inside of us. And 
Paul spoke of it here to the church of Ephesus in verses 2 and 3 as he deals with the fact that in times past we walked according to the course of this, notice the word here that's used, the course of this world. We, we followed after that worldly philosophy. According to the prince of the power of the air, he's the one that has influence over the world. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our conversation in times past. And then he tells us here the lust of our flesh. So we see all three of these enemies. We see the world uh, that's influenced by Satan, who's the prince and power of the air, that uh, is enticing to the lust of our flesh. But one, and, and I don't think there's very many of us, if any of us, that are sitting here today that say, Pastor, I don't think that those are the enemies we're really fighting. I think we all would be in agreement from Scripture that these are the three that really seem to be the battle, the hang-up for us in our Christian lives. But Satan is also shrewd. Have you noticed that over the years? And he doesn't, he doesn't always come at us head-on, fully visible, where we can see that's the world, or where we can see... That's Satan trying to do some things. He disguises and uh, uses tactics that um, find a way to get past our, our diligence, our awareness, our, our alert, our spiritual alertness. Uh, he finds some tactics to do that, and I think there, there are several in Scripture. I'm going to give you three of them today that I think that Satan uses in one of these three areas of our lives, either in the flesh or in the influence that the world has over us, or in Satan's direct attacks and his wiles that he entices and tempts us with, he, he disguises those in some other areas. And I want us to look at those uh, very quickly in Scripture and see uh, not only what they are, but how we're to combat them, how we're to deal with them when they come across our path. The first one I think we find in 2 Corinthians, if you will, turn over there to chapter number 4. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. And... Um, I, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Satan is a very skilled and, and a master at making things look and appear to be something that they are not. And uh, I think one of these things that we'll find uh, in chapter number four is Paul deals with an area that uh, we oftentimes struggle in, and that is the area of discouragement. Satan uses discouragement. To affect us, he doesn't come at us saying, "Hey, this is the world coming at you." He, he he does things that brings discouragement to our hearts, and it begins to affect our flesh nature. It begins to affect our walk with God, and so he disguises these attacks in the area. I think in one of the areas by way of discouragement. Look with me in verse number eight, Second Corinthians chapter number four, verse number eight. And if there's anybody in Scripture that would have human uh, experience, firsthand experience in discouragement. I think we would have to agree that the Apostle Paul, from a human perspective, a fleshly perspective, would have every right, if any man had a right, to be discouraged. I think Paul would have to be one of them. Uh, and I believe that Satan oftentimes tried to bring discouragement to the Apostle Paul's life. In verse number 8, he says this, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Uh, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. 
So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith, according as it is written. I believe, and therefore I have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also, raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we what? We faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. And so uh, Paul says, listen, there's, there's things here that if we're not careful, we're going to let discouragement stop us in our tracks. He says we're troubled not just a little bit, but he says on every side. There, everywhere Paul turned, there was trouble. I know we don't always live in this state, but could we not reflect the times in our life where it seemed like everywhere we looked, there just was trouble. Our hearts sank. Uh, we were perplexed. We were in, in thinking, Lord, I don't see any light here. I'm, I'm in this tunnel, and where's the end of this thing going to lead? Trouble on every side and not distressed, Paul says. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair, he says. Persecuted. You ever felt that you were persecuted? The truth is, in the day we live, I don't know that we have ever fully experienced what true persecution is. I think we've been maybe criticized and had our feelings hurt. But as far as real persecution, I don't know that we, too many of us have experienced true persecution. Uh, but Paul certainly did. Paul had been stoned for the cause of Christ. Paul had been beaten. Paul had been thrown in prison for the cause of Christ. I don't know any of us that have ever had to go through those, those things yet. Uh, and if you have, God bless you for it. But I don't know any of us that have done that yet. Although with things going the way they are, I don't doubt that and if God doesn't come soon that uh, we may experience some of that. He says, cast down but not destroyed. And Paul says, look, there's, there's reason. And Paul certainly knew from first-hand experience to be discouraged. And Satan, I believe, was... Uh, targeting Paul because of Paul's past, because of uh, the things that he was putting him through for the sake of Christ. I mean, here Paul is trying to do what is right, trying to follow after what God would have him to do and being obedient to Christ. And everywhere he looks, there's trouble. And everywhere he looks, he's perplexed. And everywhere he looks, there's persecution. And if anybody had a right to be discouraged, I think it would be Paul. And yet I look at my life and how little of that I suffer in this life. And I think of how many times I have gotten discouraged. And I've let discouragement gain a foothold in my life. And to be honest with you, it's hard to serve the Lord the way I'm supposed to serve Him when I'm discouraged. You ever notice that? It, it, it stunts our growth. It, it slows our pace. We no longer are running the race anymore. But we come to a stop. And so Paul makes this statement as we get down to verse number 16. He, said, or he takes some time in verses 11 down through 15, and he talks about the things that even though we're having to suffer these things now, there's something that we have looking forward that is before us that is certainly making all of this worth it. And he makes uh, mention of this. He talks about in verse number 14, knowing that he which hath raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. He said, listen, uh, even though these things are happening, uh, we have something to look forward to, and God is being glorified through them, and so we're going to rejoice in this. And he says, for this cause, in verse number 16, we what? 
We faint not. We faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. And so while Satan may do things to discourage this flesh, this, uh, this, this body that I have, this time that I'm spending here on earth, uh, when discouragement comes, there's two things I think that Paul alludes to here in this passage that he looked forward to that caused him to say, it's worth it. I'm not going to get discouraged in this. One of them was the things that are to be in the future that we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to heaven. What can Satan do to this old flesh nature? I think it was might have been John R. Rice. I, I, I'm not sure which one of the men it was, but there was one of the men years ago that somebody came and they threatened him, threatened his life, if he were to keep preaching the, th- the way that he was. And he made this statement. He said, you can't threaten me with heaven. And the truth is, those of us that are saved, even though the body can be destroyed, Jesus told his disciples, don't, don't fear those that can destroy the body. Uh, fear the one that can destroy the spirit, the soul in hell. And so he said, be careful of these things. And uh, so we have so much to look forward to. And I love what the songwriter wrote years ago. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So when discouragement comes, and Satan is going to, he's going to come after our flesh nature. He's going to do things to discourage us. And for no other reason than to cause us to stop walking and running the race and doing what God has for us to do. When that happens, how do we combat that? We rejoice in what God has in front of us yet. We, restore, we rejoice in the heaven, the fact that it's going to be worth all of this. It's going to be worth it. Uh, there have been things I was sharing with somebody, uh, the, our missionary that came the other night. I was sharing with him a little bit of my background and how I came to be here. He's asking about my wife and my family. And I said, I don't have a wife. My wife left me and shared a little bit of that story with him and some of the heartache of that. And uh, I, I shared, and, and I thought, you know, the truth is, even though those were dark days for me, and I, I went through some tremendous sorrow in that, the truth is, to serve the Lord is, is worth it, regardless. Because there's so much before us that we can rejoice in. And there are so many things that we can hope in. And I don't know what sorrow Satan's brought into your life, but I know that there's been times of discouragement all of us can look back to. What do we do during those times of discouragement? I look at Brother Kevin, and I know I don't mean to put him on the spot, but I know he suffers a lot physically. I look at Brother Mark. He's had a lot of physical problems here recently. Miss Linda uh, dealing with physical issues. And uh, Miss Jennifer dealing with Keith. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Brother Keith. I love you. I can say that because I said I love him. So. But we all get discouraged, don't we? And we all have discouragement. What do we do during those times? Well, Paul said, I, I, I look at those things that are ahead. I know that the one that rose, raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he's going to raise me up also. There's going to come a time where this flesh isn't going to have to go through this sorrow anymore. The other thing that he says here, he says in verse number 16, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse number 15, he says, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving many redound to the glory of God. To say, you know what, even though this is suffering right now, if it's able to bring glory to God, it's worth it. When people watch how we deal with the things that oftentimes would bring discouragement into our lives, do they see someone who, who is susceptible to that discouragement? Or do they see someone that rejoices that God is glorified through the trial? And Paul looked at two things. He said, I look forward to the things that are in store for me in the future. He said, I also look forward to the fact that through this, God is able to be glorified through me. Satan does an awful lot to try to discourage us. Troubled on every side, perplexed, 
Paul knew certainly the persecution. And we can say if any man in Scripture ever had a right to be discouraged and frustrated and throw his hands up and say, I'm done, it'd have to be the Apostle Paul. And yet he says, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not distressed. I'm not in despair. I'm not destroyed. In fact, he says, for though we, he says, for this cause we faint not, for though our outward man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. And while Satan may do things that can affect this, this physical flesh, this body that I have, this life that I'm living in this earth, he cannot, he cannot touch the soul that God has redeemed. It makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. The second area I think that he does is he begins to bring doubt doubt into our minds. Look in Ephesians chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. He's dealing here with the whole armor of God. In verse number 13 he says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I want you to notice very carefully verse number 16. Above all, taking the shield of what? Faith. Wherewith ye shall be able to quench how many of the darts? All the fiery darts of the wicked. Can I, can I help you with something here? Doubt is the enemy of faith. And faith is the enemy of doubt. You cannot have faith and doubt at the same time. If you doubt, then there is no faith. If you have faith in something, then there is no doubt. Satan is going to try everything that he can to bring doubt into our minds. How do we combat that? We combat that by saying, Lord, I'm having faith in you. I may not understand it. There may be some things that I'm looking at and I think, Lord, this doesn't make any sense to me. But if your word says it, I'm going to trust it. I'm going to put my faith in it. Why? Because that, that combats the doubt. It allows me to put an anchor on something solid and steadfast and sure. And so it's easy to say, okay, faith is the, the, the remedy. It's the antidote, if you will, to doubt. But how do I get faith? You ever wonder that? Well, just do it. You know, the pastor up says, have faith. And we're like, oh, I want to have faith. How do I get faith? Well, let's look and see what Paul says about it, shall we? Look in Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. Let's go down to verse number 17. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 17. Paul writes this. He says, So then faith cometh. Now, wait a minute. If we just ask, where do we get faith from? When I see those words that faith cometh, I want to perk my ears up and say, Okay, Tell me, Paul, where do I get my faith from? Faith cometh from by what? Hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Can I tell you this, that when doubt comes, the remedy for that is to pour ourselves and saturate ourselves into this book. Because it's where my faith is strengthened. And that faith is the antidote for the doubt. Satan is going to try these things. I promise you, as sure as you're sitting here, if he's not already done it in your life, he's going to try to bring discouragement. You can mark it down. He is absolutely going to bring doubt. You can mark it down. And if he hasn't already, he's going to. When that happens, what do I do? Well, I have to have some faith. 
Well, how do I do that? By hearing the Word of God. Read it. Study it. Listen to it. Turn on preaching. Turn on the Bible if it's just narrated. Uh, read it every day that you get an opportunity. Read it. Read it. Read it. Saturate your life with the Word of God. Why? Because it's truth. And every time we get to anchor ourselves to something that is solid and steadfast and sure, it causes the doubt to flee. There are some things in life that I am absolutely certain of. That if I do this, this is going to happen. It's going to happen every time no matter what. There are things I'm absolutely sure of that on. You know why I'm sure of it? Because I've been through it so many times before. I have faith that it's going to keep doing the same exact thing. I have certain things in my life that I hold to from Scripture that I say I am absolutely certain of it. You know why? Because I've been through it so many times and it has never once failed. And I believe this to be truth, the Word of God in its entirety, something I can anchor to, a steadfast and sure hope. And it is the antidote. It is the, it is the antithesis of. It is the enemy of doubt. So when Satan tries to bring doubt into your minds, and he will... He will. I know people that struggle with their salvation. Oh, I just don't know if I'm saved or not. I know people that struggle with uh, uh, whether or not to, it's all worth it. it, it the, the, the life that we lead and the life that we live, is it worth it? We struggle with those things. Satan brings those to heart. He brings those to mind. And it is our flesh that brings that about. It struggles. But the Word of God is something that is sure, it's something that is true, that when we listen to it, when we hear it, the Bible says that it gives us faith. And I don't know about you, but I want all the faith I can get, because Satan is sure going to throw as many doubts as he can our way. The last area is the area of division. Have you ever noticed this? Satan has a divide-and-conquer type of a mentality. About the time things are going really great, and God's moving, and God's doing something, you can rest assured Somewhere along the line, Satan's going to throw a cog in the wheel. He's going to throw a wrench in the gear. And he's going to cause some kind of division. He's going to cause some kind of discord among the brethren. And I believe this with all of my heart. I went through a period of time when I was in Bible college where the independent fundamental Baptist movement was at odds with itself. There was this camp over here and this camp over here and this person over here. And I'll say this as kindly as I can. It really was nothing more than pride each group wanting to have the, the preeminence in the movement of the independent Baptist movement. They wanted to be the ones that everybody looked to for leadership. And it really just became a matter of pride. It was an issue of arrogance. I, I don't care what other excuse they gave, it really boiled itself down to that. The Bible tells us that, that only by pride cometh contention. And these folks were at odds with each other. And I remember thinking as a young man, Satan is probably sitting back laughing. Because here are these folks that believe in the solid Word of God that were at that time some of the most ardent evangelists and soul winners and people that would tell people about the Lord. We had some of the fastest growing churches because people were being saved. The power of God was moving. And it all came to a screeching stop when the vision crept in. We rest assured that about the time God begins to do something. We fight the world, the flesh, and Satan, but we don't fight them under those pretenses. We fight them under the disguises 
of discouragement and doubt and division. Look with me, if you will, in Proverbs chapter number 6. Proverbs chapter number 6. And by the way, unless you're wondering, well, do we have any problems right now in our church? Not that I know of. I don't know that there's a whole lot of division in our church right now. <clears throat> but I'd far rather teach on this and preach on it when there's not division than when there is. Because tendency is when there's division and I try to preach on it, people say, well, he's just preaching at me. And the truth is, I'm just hoping that we all just get to the place where God can do a work in our hearts and there not be division, there not be strife. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 16. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination to Him. It's interesting to me that a proud look is top of the list. You ever notice that? We talk about these abominations that God has, and we like to focus on the ones that we don't have a problem with. We say, oh, how bad that is. And they are. They're abominations. We don't tend to talk about the ones that we have problems with that we struggle with. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto Him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies. And notice this, he that soweth discord among the brethren. That's an abomination. I mean, I, I know the Bible talks about homosexuality being an abomination to God. I know it talks about abortion being an atrocious sin. And boy, we can preach on that and get a lot of amens. We can get a lot of people to say, boy, you're right, preacher, preach that hard. Until we begin to deal with division among the brethren. And then it gets kind of quiet not realizing that this is something that not only does God hate, but it is an abomination to Him. One that would sow discord. One that would stir up the strife among the brethren. Look with me in Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter 18. And let's look in verse number 15. God gives us how we're to deal with things. And He says this, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him. What's the next word? What is it? We, you don't have to be shy. You can say it right out loud. We all know what it's in there, right? Alone. It means not on Facebook. That means not on not on the group chat. That doesn't mean call up your best friend and say, you won't believe what brother so-and-so did or sister so-and-so did. Satan laughs. I think he is gleeful. I think he rejoices when the brethren allow division. I love our church. I... I there is something unique about this place that I've not seen in a lot of places. And I'm not trying to be prideful of it. I'm thankful for it. One of them is how much our people care for one another. And yeah, there's times we'll have little spats. There's little times we'll get upset at each other. But at the end of the day, you're still our brother in Christ, our sister in Christ. 
at the end of the day, we still love one another. We're still a family. And the strife and the discord needs to be dealt with in a biblical way. You go to that person, the Bible says alone, tell him his fault, between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Satan is shrewd. He's very shrewd. He doesn't make the attacks against us obvious. He doesn't make them the, the things that we would normally look to and say, well, I've got to be careful in this area because he's going to come after me there. But he'll do it by way of discouragement. He'll do it by way of doubt. And he'll do it by way of division. And the sad fact of the matter is he succeeds far more than he ever ought. What do we do during these times? When I'm discouraged, I'm going to think it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. By going through it, by enduring it, by praising the Lord through it, I can bring glory to Him and point men to Christ. When doubt comes, I'm going to take the Word of God and I'm going to go and search its pages. I'm going to find promises that I can anchor to, I can hold to, that will cause the doubt to flee. And when strife comes, I'm going to go to my brother alone and take care of the issue and gain a brother. Don't let Satan get a foothold in our lives. There are so many areas he does, and these are just three that we've given. There are so many ways that he disguises his attacks. We understand we're involved in spiritual warfare. I don't think any of us doubt that. The Bible is very clear. But we don't always recognize his attacks. We see them for something other than what they are. And maybe by seeing some of these things in Scripture, we can say, you know what, next time that happens, I don't know, it's just Satan. There's a biblical way to handle it. There's a biblical way to go about combating it. And hopefully that will be a help to us. All right? Let's be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. It's not only good to encourage. It's not only good to reprove us. It's not only good for our doctrine, but, Lord, also to instruct us. And sometimes we just need to come to His pages and sit and learn. Sit at the feet of this wonderful Teacher this beautiful book that we hold in our hands, and be able to let it instruct and guide us in life, in practical things, things that affect our everyday life. So guide us, Lord, may its pages, may its truth help us and guide our, our actions, our conduct. May, may it in, encourage our inner man. May it help us to be faithful and steadfast in these areas. We pray, dismiss us now with your blessings. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.